This is the Technology and Sports Podcast. I'm Jim Vance. This is episode five of the Technology and Sports Podcast. I'm Jim Vance, and I am doing my first episode since returning from the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. And wow, what a what a race that was on the men's side! Just extremely close and uh, uh, an amazing uh, run course record. So uh, pretty cool, um, you know. Part of this this podcast is about obviously technology, but really what technology is all about is about data. How do we take data and use data to to maybe you know to to enact change to to better do the things we do, to perform better, to recognize weaknesses in our in our competition, especially as it relates to sport, and so using this data you know what can we do actionably to be better and so one of the things i've always done in kona is i've always kind of taken that the mile split for the run the first mile off the bike and the 15k marker because back in my day believe it or not (laughs) i say back in my day it wasn't that long ago Uh, i remember in 2006 i came off the bike at ironman florida and i was in fifth place and uh, I was running my first mile off the bike. I ran in 5:43, and I was like, "Whoa, okay, that's pretty fast." And by the time I got to mile four, I had run the first four miles in 23 minutes, which is 5:45 pace. So, obviously, I used that that kind of knowledge to understand, okay, how well did I really pace myself? I ended up shutting it down the second half of the marathon. Uh, thinking back to it, uh, I ran my first half marathon that day off the bike in Ironman, Florida in one twenty oh something. And I'd only made up uh, about maybe 20 seconds on second pl- or first place and only about two seconds on second place, believe it or not. So we were running very fast. And I started to really realize, man, if I could really look at the data of how, of how professionals run, Number one, I think people will be surprised at how fast they're actually running off the bike early. And then also, maybe there's a way to do this better. Um, clearly, I paid for it that day. My second half was like 134, I want to say. So now I shut it down because I realized I wasn't going to catch the first two guys. They had like a 7-minute, 11-minute uh, lead. So I was not going to catch them. Um, but certainly, I, I took that information, that data, and tried to apply it to Kona and really looking at, okay, what's going on in this race? If I take some data from it, what am I going to find? And what I've found over the years that I've been collecting data, which has been a while now, it's been about four years, four or five years, these guys are running pretty fast, and they're running kind of stupid, even the women. So uh, uh, this year, well, many years now, I've kind of tried to identify publicly, like, hey, this is the point in the race where a lot of a lot of very talented athletes are making big mistakes. And as soon as someone comes along and leverages that and uses those mistakes against them and holds them accountable to those mistakes, things will change in the race. And this year in Kona, we had Patrick Lang, 
from Germany set the men's run course record. He went 239.45 off the bike in Kona. Ridiculously fast. I believe the next fastest time, if I really look at it, was uh, I think it was the winner, Jan Frodeno, 245. Now, Lang got a penalty, which I think his penalty was four minutes for blocking on the bike. It's four or five minutes. I can't remember. I want to say it's four minutes. So, and he lost by just over five minutes. So, it's amazing to think about what could have been in that race. But Lang, Lang, if in every interview I read, he did an interview on slowtwitch.com. He did an interview with Bob Babbitt, and he said he was holding back. He actually had the fastest first mile of the day of anybody. 542. But if I really look, and I'm going to go through the data, I'm going to write an article on this soon, and I'll be sure to share where that's posted. Um, he ran like 60, what did he run? He ran 60, 603 pace, uh, 604, 605 pace. That's what it is for the marathon. So he really only dropped about 22 seconds. Went between 20 to 22, 23 seconds for his whole marathon pace, which actually, if you look at it, I think we're going to find, and I haven't gone through the data yet, but I think we're going to find he had probably the smallest drop from his first mile to his last mile, or overall pace, rather. Um, so what he ran for the first mile relative to his overall pace for 26 miles was probably the smallest differential of anybody in the race. Um, I will look and see and see if that hypothesis is correct. But uh, I think it, it goes to show that the race is about to change. He, anybody who knows uh, Patrick Lang in that race and knows where he's at is going to have to make sure that they are either smart or that they've got a very huge gap on him. Because if he can outrun everybody in the field by at least six minutes, you need at least a six-minute lead on him. Or you've got to run much more intelligently the first mile. So... This is part of what I've kind of been known as. I'm a data guy, and I've been taking data, data on the mile split in the 15K for a while, and that was probably one of the most impressive runs I've ever seen. It is the most impressive run. I think it even outdoes uh, uh, Rennie's 250 from 2014. So um, I am excited to research this further and dive into it, and I'll be sharing that in the weeks ahead. So if you're a if you're a data geek or a run geek, and you want to kind of see see how the race unfolded, you'll want to look out for that. So, so like I say, look watch for that. It should be uh, pretty cool. But in my estimation, the Ironman race on the men's side, as we know it, is changing greatly. Uh, no way in the world will Jan Frodeno be able to to make the mistakes he's making sebastian keenley they're not going to be able to do that they're going to have to change their strategy they're going to have to be much more intelligent in their racing uh because it's uh it's getting up there um just just to let you know jan frodeno's first mile was 553 off the bike and sebastian keenley who got second was 550 so those guys didn't run anywhere near that time uh, they went 245 and I believe maybe 259. I've, I've got to look at it again. I don't have the data right in front of me, but I do remember those numbers. So, so yes, the race is changing. It's exciting days ahead, and you can bet I'm going to be one of the people uh, out there <laughs> exposing that that uh, that part of the race. In some other technology news, uh, some interesting things that caught my eye. Uh, the first is uh, earlier this month, uh, a, uh, a gentleman named Robert Young 
was actually caught cheating. <laughs> so what this guy did was he tried to go across, run across the country, um, uh, run across America, and he used uh, he tried to use like his Garmin or so, some sort of data from his his GPS. Uh, apparently a TomTom account. That's what he has. So he was using this fitness tracker, his TomTom, to kind of show himself doing this. Well, there were obviously some things that kind of came up and uh, where people were like, well, I'm a little suspicious here. How could he have done this based upon some of the data and, and things? And so they hired an independent group to, uh, to research his data. And amazingly, they, they realized, wait a minute, there's no way in the world that you could have done what you that what you, what you said you did, based upon the cadence data from your from your wearable. So um, it, it was it was pretty pretty cool. I'm gonna put the link in the notes. But uh, Robert Young is from Great Britain. He calls himself Marathon Man UK. Uh, you know he's done all these things. He he went from Huntington Beach and wanted to try to wanted to try to run across America in the fastest run. Uh, the fastest run across America is like 46 days, 8 hours, and 36 minutes. That's from a gentleman named Frank Giannino. I'm totally butchering that. Sorry, Junior. Uh, it was set in 1980, which is amazing to me. I mean, with all the advancement in technology, we have a running record of the fastest run across America that still stands from 1980. That's kind of funny. Not that we can really use any data to prove that that guy's record was was uh was accurate or or fairly uh fairly done but uh it seems interesting that that we have a, a record that stand that stood for 36 years so anyway it was it was going to be a while uh it was going to be a long trip uh this guy lasted about 2000 miles over about 36 days he 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 had to basically run 60 miles a day to break the record which is just ridiculous um, but the, the thing that they kind of noticed is that he frequently ran more than 70 miles a day and he was often maintaining a pace faster than seven minutes per mile, which is, I mean, it's just stupid. You just can't do that. And so that obviously raised a lot of red flags. And then there were a few other things. I won't get into all of it that happened, but there was kind of the smoking gun. And the thing is that his TomTom -tom watch he used for segments of the run, but it, it basically showed that uh, that he was he was basically running around 60, 60 steps a minute. Well, that would mean a ridiculous stride length, and they were able to say, "Well, there's no way in the world you can have that type of stride length and and maintain this." So, um, I, I'll let you guys kind of see this. It was interesting. It was just kind of cool to me how here we've used technology to to bust someone. For cheating and actually believe it or not this concept is not new um, although it's kind of new for for a major record attempt across America we've we've seen it used uh, believe it or not in the Tour de France and 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 basically to explain that we know certain athletes use drugs in the past Lance Armstrong uh, Marco Pantani uh, certain others and we can and we can know and look at okay well if they do a certain climb in the Tour de France that climb is always pretty much the same so we can get how much what the watt per kilo would be for that athlete to do to do that type of vertical ascension so the the amount of watts they would need to produce relative to their mass and what the vo2 would be to re, would be required to, to produce that type of uh, climbing ability 
Well, we know within a certain amount, there's, there's no way that that is humanly possible by traditional training methods. So believe it or not, that's how we're actually able to kind of begin to di- you know, dissect who, who is potentially cheating and who isn't. What, what, <laughs> what metrics make sense and what don't? And we can even do that now crazily by power files from the Tour de France that, that athletes even make public. Because I can look at one athlete and say, okay, yes, this makes sense. This value makes sense. But for this athlete to be able to do this, they would have to have a VO2 max of... Uh, you know, 120. Well, that's that's ridiculously higher than what's ever been measured in a lab by any athlete ever. So that's one of the ways that we can tell an athlete is doping. One of the best people around for that type of uh, analysis, if you're interested in reading that further, is a gentleman named Ross Tucker. Uh, if you just look up Ross, R-O-S-S, Tucker, T-U-C-K-E-R, uh with sports scientist he i think he runs the sports scientist blog uh some amazing stuff ross tucker is one of my favorite authors uh just in writing he's a very prolific writer um he's from south africa he's uh he's done some awesome stuff he wrote a major section in my book uh triathlon science that i did with joe friel uh that we co-edited together uh his section is is probably my favorite section of the whole book so if you're a ross tucker fan uh, check out triathlon science and, and go read his part. A lot of central governor theories, things in that. Um, but the, the great thing about Ross is he's he's very good about uh, looking at technology and understanding its actionable uh, use. So he's been able to kind of almost uh, reverse engineer who's who's uh, who's cheating or who is likely cheating based upon the data from power meters and climbing. He was one of the first people to kind of take that on. So. Uh, Pretty cool stuff. Um, with that, going back to Kona, um, one of the things you can look for here shortly from me is, uh, well, when I was there, I was there working with uh, Stride, the Run Power Meter company. Uh, I was also there for Velo Press, who was the publisher of my book, Run With Power. And we were able to get some athletes, some, some, some of the professional field to run with the new stride foot pod power meter uh during the race and so i will be sharing some data from that some really cool things and actually the the best part is the actionable part like okay now you see this data what does it mean for you as an athlete and uh, i'm working on that article right now i'm just kind of taking a break during writing it to do this podcast so look for that i think it's going to be really cool to see um, some new things uh, that just a new way of looking at, at, at the Kona Ironman run. Uh, I'm really excited. So uh, the run, at least for sure, two people that I'm featuring in, in the article will be Matt Russell and Lionel Sanders. And if you follow Ironman at all, you know Matt Russell is a very good runner. And you know that Lionel Sanders is, has been one of the top 70.3 athletes in the world this year in 2016. And uh, some pretty cool stuff to see from him. So uh, he did not have the best Kona. Lionel didn't. Matt had a, had a great race. I think Matt was like 12th. Um, but uh, yeah, so look for that. That's going to be probably posted at trainingpeaks.com since I'll be using their software to break down and analyze it. Uh, and I'm sure if you follow Stride, they will, they will also be able to uh, share, with, share with you where you can find that article. In other news, let's see, what do we got here? I've got 
a new product called Level, and I and I I referenced it earlier with uh, with my episode from Innerbike. Level, the way it's spelled is L V L. That's the name of the product. Um, it's from a company called uh, BSX, and their big thing is it's a hydration monitor. You wear it on your wrist, and it like monitors your hydration. They use this. This red light technology they call it you know from hospitals I I have not researched how much better this potential technology is relative to their so-called green light technology that they that they talk about but anyway it this product apparently monitors hydration sleep quality calories activity and mood which I'm like okay um, it's interesting. The real thing for me is apparently you wear this thing 24 seven, um, and it will monitor how high, how, how much hydration you have or don't have. So your level of hydration rather. And it claims that it will detect your patterns, your, your activity patterns, your non-activity patterns, everything, and look for, for ways in which you can improve your hydration based upon that activity areas that are, you're missing out on and things of that nature so what I like is that they're giving some actionable use to it like it's not just hey here's a hydration meter oh you're dehydrated it's if it's actually going I mean even that would actually be pretty good if we could tell you I mean telling me that I what a hydration level is percentage wise I mean we're 70% water so if I'm 68% what does that mean oh I'm still good or is a 2% loss of water a bad thing? And so to me, that's that's really the key is uh, are they going to make it actionable? And it appears that they are. So uh, they had a very, very successful Kickstarter campaign, which I was amazed to see. Apparently, they raised somewhere around, well, I know that they were looking for $50,000 and it became one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns probably in history where it raised over a million dollars. So you can look for it. Just Google LVL. Uh, it's by a company BSX Athletics and they've got some interesting stuff. So I'm, I'm interested in learning more. Uh, I can't say I'm sold on it. Certainly, I'm not going to be like, oh, new technology. Oh, this is going to change the world. I don't know that. Um, it's It's got some interesting things, um, but uh, it's certainly got some potential. So, I mean, in the end, when we come out with new technology and new metrics, now we're, now we're looking at hydration as a metric. Well, what does that mean? You know, uh, I, I mean, just because... <laughs> Let me give you a perfect example. Studies show that the most dehydrated person in a race is the winner. Think about that. The winner. So the person who actually performs the best is the person in the greatest state of dehydration. And that's because they're too busy racing and going so hard that they can't they can't hydrate themselves. So is hydration really a, the major factor uh, in terms of performance? I can't say that it is. In fact, I think most of the time it's hydration is overrated or dehydration rather is overrated uh, when it comes to performance uh, especially when you compare it to pacing and things like that now an athlete needs to come into a race hydrated or any sort of competition hydrated and I think that helps so how much it helps I don't know because we've never really been able to measure 
what amount is helpful, what amount isn't, because it's so individual. Uh, based on your mass, your, you know, e potentially even your age, your activity level, your goals, what you're actually training for. I mean, what does a football player need or a basketball player need? You know, LeBron James is cramping in, in the NBA Finals versus, uh, you know, an, an athlete in, in the Ironman World Championships cramping on the Queen K. You know, it, does hydration even play a role in that? A lot of people think it does. I'm not so sure. I think it plays a small role for sure, but you know, is it the main? Is it the main reason? And the hardest thing's always been it's it's so difficult to really to really know. So I think I think if we can use a tool like this to actually measure and say, here's an athlete at the start of the workout, here's an athlete at the end of a workout, here's an athlete at the start of a marathon, at the end of a marathon in terms of hydration levels, here's an athlete in the start of an Ironman, the end of an Ironman. I mean. These things are, okay, now we're really beginning to at least get collect new data that gives us new new metrics and measurements for for stress on the body. So some cool things that has a lot of potential. Um, again, am I sold on it? Absolutely not. I would need to use it to really see kind of what it's what it's doing. But uh, it, it is kind of cool. And I will put I will put a link in our show notes at technologyandsports.com. Just click on listen to the podcast and you'll be able to see the, the show notes and I will put the link to the Kickstarter campaign so you can see it. They have some videos on there so you can kind of see what it is their product really does and how it does it. Uh, you'll hear from some of their people uh, from the company BSX um, on some interesting stuff. So with that, I'm going to turn it now to this week's guest. The guest this week is Scott Tilton. Scott is the CEO and one of the founders of Hook It. And it's funny, Scott is actually one of the guys that made me realize, man, I need to do a podcast because I am surrounded by some really cool people that do, do some cool stuff. Um, as you know, the first guest on the show was Ramsey Nijem, who's the who's a family member of mine, who's the head strength coach of the Sacramento Kings in the NBA, well, my son, uh, Alistair, was going to school, was going to a preschool with Scott's Scott's daughter, and so we saw each other all the time, and uh, we'd meet up at pizza joints and chat, and got to know him, and his company is really amazing. Hook It does some cool stuff with social media measuring, um, with data and things, and I mean, and this is the thing, I go back to this, it's, it's a show about data. As much as we call it technology in sports, it's really about creating technology that will give us data so we can analyze what we do. So, uh, but, you know, data in sports didn't sound like a cool podcast. So well, that's why I named it technology in sports. So Scott, anyway, has, uh, has a company that measures uh, athletes' uh, basically value uh, in a social media sense. So it is really cool stuff. He's, his company has won numerous awards now. Uh, been featured in some major magazines uh, like Forbes and Money Magazine. I even saw uh, Darren Rovell or Rovell or however the hell you say his name. Nobody likes him anyway from ESPN. Uh, he was he was uh, he was quoting uh, some of the some of the stuff from it, from Scott's company. Um, it's just cool. I think you're going to really like this, especially if you're a social media fan. If you're an athlete out there and you're looking to get sponsorship. Uh, I think you're really going to like this because you can actually use Scott's software to help show your value to a company. 
Uh, if you're a company out there, you can you can use this. You can use Scott Software to find who are the best athletes, who are the best ambassadors potentially for your for your product. And uh, yeah, so pretty cool. With that, this is Scott Tilton of Hook It, and I'll be back at the end of the show to wrap it up. All right, welcome. I'm Jim Vance. I'm here with Scott Tilton. Scott is the CEO of Hook It. Hookit offers the most powerful platform to quantify and track the value and performance of sponsorships. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. Sure, sure. So, obviously, I, I've known you a, a while here, and uh, it's always kind of interesting how our worlds kind of uh, crossed over. Our kids went to school together, uh, preschool, and uh, and just kind of learning about your, your product and realized we were kind of in the same uh, same sporting world. Um, which we basically do the same thing. We just do it differently. I look at data, you look at data and, uh, and, but it's, it's really interesting how even in that kind of world, it can be entirely different. So just so you can kind of explain what you do, tell us, tell us about hook it. What, what, what is your product? What's your company? What's the technology? Yeah. So hook it is a platform that we've built to track measure and value sponsorships in the social and digital media realm. So we track a pretty large ecosystem of, you know, virtually in the world, um, all the major teams, the major event properties, and we track all of the activity that happens around them in social and digital media and ultimately crawl it for brand value. So we'll, to give you a quick example, take an athlete, you know, like Cristiano Ronaldo, the soccer player, we will track every single post that Cristiano makes. Um, all the fan activity, mentions of Cristiano, hashtags of him, all the events and games that he competes in, and then we'll crawl it for promotion of Nike, for example. So we'll look for hashtags and mentions of Nike. Then we also do image recognition to find logos within the photos and videos. And then we have a formula or an algorithm that we've created called the Hook It Valuation Methodology, where we go through and value what all of that content is worth based on the engagement that it gets in social and digital media. Wow. And just out of curiosity, what, what kind of values did you find for Cristiano Ronaldo? Oh, Cristiano. Um, I mean, he's by far the most popular athlete in the world. He's got roughly 230 million followers and drove over a boat, a billion social interactions last year by himself so a billion interactions on just posts that he made and interactions being a like, comment, share, a view on one of his videos. And what we ultimately identified was roughly $176 million in media value that he drove for his sponsors, uh, which was far and away the, the most of any athlete in the world. $176 million. Yeah. So, so with that, like how, like uh, that's over what time frame exactly? In a year? Yeah, so that's over only that's only over a year, and that was in that case, it's actually limited to just social media, so just Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Wow, 176 million, and uh, wow, how much was he getting paid? I think it was it was it wasn't quite that much. It wasn't quite that much. Uh, so he got paid. He was the number one highest paid athlete in the world according to Forbes, and he got paid 88 million dollars last year. Uh, the interesting part, so Forbes did a full article on this whole, on all this data and the insights that we were able to uncover. And they wrote a follow up article suggesting that he was actually underpaid. 
And <laughs> the interesting part, when they, the article is quite interesting, actually, because it when they when they segmented out how he got paid $88 million, $56 million came from the team, and then $32 million came from sponsors and endorsements. And uh, but the 176 million in value that he generated was strictly for his sponsors. And when you compare him against some of the other athletes on that list, like you know Roger Federer and LeBron James, he got paid significantly less than some of those athletes and drove significantly more value. And keep in mind again that was just from social media; it doesn't include any of the broadcast and other forms of media that might have driven value for those sponsors, but. Um, but it was a really interesting article because he, he came out as the number one highest paid, and subsequently they wrote an article saying that he was underpaid. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and so, so I mean, when you when you do this, it, it, is this is this is your software for companies? Is it for athletes? Is it for I mean, who 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 uses your software, and and exactly how do they use it specifically? Yeah. So. Um, Basically, everybody, it, it serves a purpose for everybody involved in sponsorship, whether you're, and we segment, you know, our customers in the two groups. You've got people on what we call the buy side. So you're buying sponsorship, which are typically the brands and the agencies. And then you've got the sell side who are out marketing and selling sponsorships. And those could be the athletes, the teams, event promoters, the leagues, federations. So we actually sell to both sides because we're essentially a third party standard that we just value everything and the numbers are the same on both sides, but both sides have to understand the value that's being created, whether you're buying sponsorship or selling sponsorship. So we have customers all across the board from all those different uh, types of customers that I just mentioned. Okay. And is it, and is it just your main, your main companies that are main sports like basketball and international soccer or even like niche sports that are you finding? I mean, it's all across the board. Yeah. So we, we track everything. So everything from triathletes and Ironman to professional surfers to every single mainstream sport being football, basketball, soccer, hockey. Um, you know, so we've been tracking everything now for a, a couple of years and we've got customers across the board now. Everyone from, you know, the Lakers to major league soccer to, uh, we actually do track for Ironman and, and, you know, a lot of the Olympic federations as well. So it's, it's all across the board at this point. Are you able to tell us who the number one social media or so, you know, the number one valued Ironman athlete is? Do you know? Um, actually, you know, to be honest, I'd have to look that up. I, uh, <laughs> it's a niche sport. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I'm pretty active and I, I love participating in sports. And as I was telling you before the call, we, I'm doing my first half Ironman, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's not a sport that I'm actively following right now. So, um, it's getting up there though. I will look, look into it. I'll let you know. <laughs> no worries. So what, uh, like how long has the company been, been going and, uh, and how did it start? Tell us, I mean, how you kind of, how, how did it come from idea, you know, and into what it is today? Um, yeah, so I, I started the company over 10 years ago with uh, my best friend from growing up. I grew up as a competitive motocross racer and afterwards went into downhill mountain bike racing. And so I, I had, uh, started the company with him. It was originally called Sponsor House, and we started it back on the East Coast and relocated out here um, in the early to mid-2000s. And the original concept was it was actually a platform for amateur athletes to connect with sponsors. So we 
typically even in endurance sports and such, you have what's called pro form programs where amateurs or competitive athletes can uh, contact brands and get access to these discounts on products because based on how well they perform in their sports. So the original model was connecting amateur athletes with brands and we, we grew that business to, we have roughly a million registered athletes that are amateur in status that use the platform even to this day. Wow. And while we were doing that, um, it got to a point where in certain sports, we had so many athletes on the platform that, uh, when a brand opened up a pro form program, they were just inundated with requests and they needed us to do a better job of really scoring and ranking the athletes in order to find the best ones to enlist into these programs. So we, we, that's what we did. We started, we developed a, our initial product is our hook at score. And it is essentially a credit score for an athlete. So we were scoring the athletes on the site based on their commitment, performance, and reach in the sports. And as a result of that, we had tremendous amounts of data. So as an amateur athlete, we knew how big their social following was, all the posts that they were making to social media, how much promotion they were doing for brands. We had all of their event statistics in there, so all their um, how they finished at events. And then we were coming up with our own algorithms for uh, commitment, meaning like how often you participate in the sport, how much you travel, and you know even to some spending statistics based on how much you're investing in the sports. So we're doing all this around the amateur base, and GoPro is one of our bigger customers, and they loved the reporting that we were doing on the amateur side. And this was probably about four years ago they came to us and uh, asked if we could provide the same types of information on their pro athletes because that's where they're spending, you know, some pretty serious dollars against. And they wanted to get a better handle on what those athletes were doing for the brand. Uh, so that was four years ago, and it was almost a light bulb moment where instead of us being a commerce platform helping drive, you know, amateur athletes into brands pro form programs, we became a platform to quantify sponsorship investments. And that's where, you know, majority of the focus has gone to over the past couple of years and everything that we have out in front of us is entirely based around that. Wow. Wow. Okay. And and so I assume you have new new types of brands entering and and looking for athletes all the time. It's like they're they're almost trying to buy stock in so the opportunity for them to buy stock in a market, basically, that the athlete has. Yeah, it it absolutely. I mean, we we haven't we're not going to abandon the amateur athlete component at all because it's it's uh, really kind of the DNA of how we started. Our our mantra is support the athletes, and uh, the interesting part for the brands that do use that service as well as the uh, the data service around quantifying sponsorship investments. Um, some of these brands have, you know, hundreds or even thousands of athletes in these amateur programs, and it's a great feeder system for them to identify the next future star. And and so we've we've seen that uh, continue to happen even now that we've got so much data. Uh, they have you have brands that are identifying top amateur athletes really early now and are you know enlisting them into their pro ranks and and paid sponsorships down the road. So uh, so it, it is an interesting platform because of where it came from. Sure. Sure. Wow. Okay. And so, so, so if, if I'm an athlete, um, an amateur or, you know, a budding, budding professional, what, what are some of the things that, that you've learned that they could do that would enhance their value based upon some of the things that you've seen and measured and just experience and, 
I mean, the, obviously everyone talks about interaction, but it, there seems to be, you know, it's not just posting. I mean, there's got to be something more. I mean, what, what would you suggest to someone? Yeah, I think it, it kind of depends on where, where you're at in the sport. But on the amateur side, the most important thing you can do is just be out there and doing the sport all the time. And if you're competing, you know, go to the biggest events possible and perform well. And that's really the, the best way to get discovered. And once you're at a point where, you know, you're having to deliver value for a sponsor, um, like most of the pro athletes, it's really important that you're just a really good self promoter. And we do clinics all the time on for athletes on how to build their personal brands and, and, uh, but being a self promoter means, you know, talking to everybody and being a good ambassador for the sport. And when it comes to the actual promotion of a sponsor, um, the way our valuation methodology works is we look at everything that an athlete posts, but then we uh, analyze it for quality of promotion. So an example of that is when you when you're posting photos, it's, you know, as an example to Instagram, it's really important that you have good quality imagery, um, ideally something that's promoting the brand via both the logo and um, as well as uh, using proper use of a hashtag or a mention. So one of the things that we consistently try to educate athletes on is um, a, a post of you on the podium that mentions all 10 or, you know, if, let's say you have 10 sponsors. If you mention all of your sponsors, that's actually not a good quality post for a sponsor because it's diluting the value to all of them. So what we're trying to really educate athletes on is if you have a particular sponsor or product that you love and you use, you know, post a picture of you using that or a picture of the product and have a dedicated post. Because that carries so much more value than something that's really generic of just you on a podium and mentioning all of your sponsors. It doesn't drive as much value. So, you know, there's best practices that you can do in social media. But as I mentioned, it's really just being out there and being a really good self-promoter and, and ambassador for the sport that ultimately will help you kind of improve your value over time. Wow. That's awesome, man. And it's, it's just amazing to me like you know, athletes can create value just being themselves and being in a sport. And I mean, we just couldn't do that so many years ago. So <laughs> uh, what, what just for somebody who's, uh, I mean, do you find that it, there's, there's one social media venue that's that's has more traction. I know I've heard like pictures do do a lot more, but I mean, is that does that mean Instagram's the best right now, or is it is it is it all three equal? That, like it's more powerful to do all three. What 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 do you guys tend to find? Um, yeah, so we see typically it's uh, Instagram and Facebook that really drive the most value. Um, you know, Twitter it can be important, but people just don't seem to engage on Twitter the same way that they do on Instagram or Facebook. And it's probably a result of, you know, you just post less to Instagram or Facebook and Twitter. There's a constant feed of tweets that are being put out there. So it's happening so fast that people don't really just have the time or to engage and find posts that you're making. So, um, but yeah, we consistently see on the athlete side, it's typically Instagram and Facebook. And if you're following those kind of best practices where it's good quality posts, whether it be a photo or a cool video and good, solid promotion of your sponsors, they typically will drive the most value from those two platforms. Wow. Very good. Very good. Awesome. So, I mean, we, you've kind of talked about where, where you've come from and, and how you got to this point. I mean, what, 
what do you think the future is if you had to kind of look in your crystal ball? I mean, this type of technology and, you know, what's, I mean, what's the future of this uh, in, in your mind? I mean, or is that more social media related? Is it, is it outside of social media now? I mean, tell me what you, what do you kind of foresee? Yeah, the thing that we consistently are talking with brands and agencies about is just kind of where the consumption of sports is happening these days. And, you know, historically, it's been a television driven world. And a lot of the smaller sports, you know, with the exception of some of the Ironman events that are televised and and Tour de France, for example, a lot of the events just they don't have that type of television coverage. And even the mainstream sports that do, you know, there's consistently articles coming out on a daily basis about television viewership, you know, going down a little bit year over year. And but what's growing dramatically is social media, digital media. And it's really just an indication of kind of where people are consuming the sports. So our whole platform has been designed to track what we call current media, which is social, digital search. Um, there's over the top now, which is uh, if you're familiar with that, where people are now streaming live sporting other forms of media through, you know, Apple TV and all these different types of devices now. So, you know, everything that we're focused on is um, really tracking and quantifying what's happening in the digital realm, uh, because that's where everything is going to be consumed. And I mean, it's being consumed that way now, but it's going to keep growing where things like television are going to be falling off over the next few years. Wow. Wow. So any any sort of I mean, what, what are those, like Facebook Live, Periscope, and what was the other one you called over the top? Oh, Apple TV, you know, or okay. even Netflix for is a is an over-the-top channel. It's okay. over-the-top. It's just anything but broadcast. It's streaming digitally and, and available through almost any device now, whether it be your phone or a computer or iPad. So they're – and then the Facebook Live, to your point, you know, you could almost classify that as over-the-top because it's it's a different way to stream – you know, uh, video viewer or video content. So it's, um, that seems to be the way that people are just sort of preferring to consume content in the future. It's, you know, it's on the devices that they have, not necessarily through their television. Wow. That's awesome. I mean, so it sounds like that's going to be a little harder to measure because it's not images anymore. <laughs> yeah. So we, we actually track video now. I mean, we track all the YouTube videos and we track Facebook live so it's we just view it as another another platform to track. And, you know, so we're consistently adding new platforms almost on a weekly basis because it's there's just so much out there to consume that it's, um, you know, we just go after the biggest ones first and then we keep working our way down. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. So so, Scott, if if uh, if I'm a brand, uh, an athlete, a company, an agency, what what would what would be the steps to, to, to engage with Hook It and, and begin a process? Yeah, so um, if you go to hookit.com forward slash business, that's our business services page. And there's a, a lot of information on there about how the platform works and what we track and what we provide as a service. And there's a way to uh, request a demo on there. And, you know, or you can call our office. And uh, our office is 888-874-3374. And um, but we're actively doing demos and love working with new clients. So uh, those would be the two easiest ways to get in touch with us. Awesome. Well, man, this is cool. I'm I'm really excited for you. This this is just uh, just a whole new world in terms of uh, 
you know quantification of of data that we, that's in the real world so it's uh you know i look at power numbers and pace and and heart rate you look at uh mentions media impressions everything so uh it's uh it's cool to see uh see basically the same principles applied in in a business world so uh congrats and uh, thanks again for being on the show is there is there anything else you want to tell us tell us that's going on with Hook It? Uh, I think you told me you just won a won a big award or something. Yeah, we um, we've gotten a couple this year, some interesting ones, and uh, we were in Denver a couple of weeks ago for the Sports Fitness Industry Association Conference and won the Innovator of the Year award there. And the DMA conference, which is called And Then, is happening actually right now in LA. So I was up there on Sunday night, and we received the Innovation Award there as well for measurement. So, um, yeah, we you know got a lot of really exciting things going on right now, and and uh, just excited about the future and where we're going. I bet, I bet. Well, awesome. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, if they want to want to get in touch with you, they, you, you mentioned the ways, and then Hook It is spelled H O O K I T dot com. So uh, yeah, well, thanks again, Scott. Thank you, Jim. I really appreciate the opportunity. No problem. So that was Scott Tilton from Hook It. And again, uh, just to highlight a few things, I, I just find it amazing that, you know, we live in an age where you can create your own currency as an athlete or an ambassador for a brand simply by just being social and active. <laughs> so uh, pretty cool. Um, I hope you got some good tips from him. Uh, in terms of some of the things they look for and uh, if you're interested uh, if you feel like yeah you can you can bring value to a company or you're a company looking for athletes or ambassadors to bring value to your brand certainly he he's a way that he can give you actionable measurable data to show who's 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 worthy so uh pretty cool and, uh, you know, and also, like I said at the beginning, we live in an age where we're pretty much all evaluating data. We really don't know it, but uh, that's what we do. We all do. You know, when I'm with my son and I need to discipline him, I, I take in data and I, I think about, okay, what, what are my experiences that in knowing how he responds, uh, what are my experiences in knowing how to react to a certain thing? You know, it's all data. I'm just taking it in in that moment. So... It's cool. Uh, I look at data now from a coaching perspective and training response, and he looks at data from a social uh, response. So uh, pretty cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is the world we live in now. So uh, it's pretty awesome, and and this is probably changing sports, especially the uh, the endorsements type sponsorship world uh, uh, as we know it. So so to close things up here. I'm Jim Vance. This is the Technology and Sports Podcast. You can find us at technologyandsports.com. We're on Facebook. Uh, just read and look up uh, Technology and Sports Podcast. Uh, we're also on Twitter, tech, tech and Sports Pod. And, geez, where else am I? I'm coachvance.com. You can find me at. And, yeah, if you know somebody who'd like to be on the show, let me know. If there's, uh, you can reach us at the Contact Us page on technologyandsports.com. Or you can tweet at me or whatever. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Jim Vance. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Just search Jim Vance. Thanks a lot and look for me next week.